Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. And NCAA tournament is finally here. We have the bracket. We have UConn's path to banner number 12. But before we get into all that, yesterday being Monday, we got the shocking news, shocking, that Gina Oriama tested positive for COVID-19. So before we just get into the discussion, a couple important things. Gino is completely asymptomatic. He says he feels great. He got his second dose of the vaccine, I think now it's six days ago, six days ago from Tuesday. So it was still nine days away from being fully functional is not the right word, but him having full protection from the vaccine because it takes about two weeks to kind of build up the defenses. So if all goes well, he can return to the team on March 24th in San Antonio, which would be ahead of the team's Sweet 16 matchup, assuming, of course, they get there, which I think is a pretty, it's pretty comfortable to say that they will. So in the meantime, Chris Daly is going to take over as the head coach, a position in which she is 10 and 0 all time. She's had four different stints at the helm, the 1989 Big East tournament when Gino got suspended for a scheduling error that put UConn over the legal limit of games. The 1997 Big East tournament when Gino's father died and he was away from the team. Two games during the 2018-19 season when Gino was just sick. And I'm pretty sure he told us at one point that if they weren't going to Wichita and Tulsa, he probably would have felt well enough to go to those trips. I don't know if he was just (laughs) kidding or not, but knowing Gino, it's hard to tell on those things. And then last season, he missed one game while recovering from surgery to alleviate symptoms for diverticulitis. I have no idea if I've pronounced that right. So CD is not completely unfamiliar with this. I can't imagine she's going to be thrilled having to handle the media portion of being a head coach because I know she's not much of a fan of doing that, that, and that's right up Gino's alley. So I guess just to start, what was your initial reaction when you saw that news come through? Yeah. I mean, the initial reaction was not like, that's not good news, especially because you just like have to hope that, you know, he's not, it hasn't spread to anyone else either. And obviously, I mean, at least, you know, in good health, which is what ultimately what matters, but and it sounds like from everything we learned yesterday that his viral viral load is really low. So the chance that it's spread to anyone on the team is, is pretty low. So, I mean, the team gets to go and compete still, which I think is, you know, the second to everyone's health, the most important thing here. Uh, I do feel like you UConn's kind of in a unique position here. I think a lot of other schools, if this was their head coach, would be in a pretty rough spot heading into the tournament. But because UConn has CD and CD has been there with Gino all the way through and is just such a part of the program and has been for so long, I feel like they're actually very well prepared to kind of take on these two games without having their head coach. Right. And it is important to note that Gino's wife Kathy hasn't tested positive and she was with them in the bubble at Mohegan and also UConn has officially arrived in San Antonio according to Kristen Williams Instagram story the masks that they got from the NCAA have the bracket on them which is pretty funny like you got to give it to the NCAA for creativity points at least so yeah it's definitely good that it didn't affect them I mean we I think we've talked about it that it was such a fear that they were going to possibly get knocked out before they got to San Antonio. And just 
at least for me all season long, I, my biggest fear going into the season is that Gino was going to get really sick with COVID or worse because obviously like it's just so unpredictable and he's not old, but he's in his sixties, which is above that high risk age. So it's obviously really good to hear that he's asymptomatic. I mean, he used the word great. He feels amazing. So yeah, very, very, very positive. And like you said, there's no better person that they could have to fill the void of Gino than Chris Daly. And not only that, but they also have Jamel Elliott on staff, who's been a head coach, who's been with UConn through a million NCAA tournaments throughout her career. And obviously Shea Ralph too, not to discount her. She's only been an assistant for a ton of time, but she's been around for as a player and as a coach. So she knows what's up. Also, I thought it was really funny yesterday after the availability, we got to talk to anyone on the team that we wanted to. So the whole team was available. So I was asking people what the difference between CD and Gino is. And for the most part, they all said that nothing really changes when CD's in charge. But I did get Anna to reveal that CD's practices are not only harder, but she's like on a timed schedule. Like she wants to get through every single thing on a schedule, can't go over, needs to be crisp. Whereas Gino, he just kind of floats around, does what he wants, doesn't really care about the practice plan, and just wants it. He goes into practice having one goal in mind that he wants to accomplish. And if he doesn't accomplish that he'll go as long as he feels that he needs to. So apparently according to the player, CD's practices are shorter, but harder and Gino's practices are a lot longer. So it is funny to just see actually page Becker's had a great quote while we're discussing this. She said that Gino apparently often will just say, screw the bracket. Whereas CD will never do that. So it was funny to hear them talk about the difference between how each of them runs practice, even though everything else with the program isn't, isn't too different. Yeah. Agreed. I think it makes sense that, you know, things won't be too different because, you know, and CD have done this together for so long. I would expect that things would actually be pretty similar. Practices might be a little bit different, but I think, I think in general, we're going to see things go pretty, pretty standard. And like you said, Gino should be able to join the team before the sweet 16. So barring any kind of crazy upsets. There shouldn't be anything too much to be concerned about ahead of them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So the Geno news came in just a few hours before they revealed the bracket on ESPN. And oh, speaking of the bracket reveal, what was ESPN doing? So if you didn't watch it live, they went in just a bizarro world order to reveal the bracket. They started with the bottom right and... Maybe I'm just misremembering, but doesn't every single bracket reveal always start with the number one overall seed? So not only did they start in a weird direction, as they were unveiling it, they said that NC State was the number one overall seed, which completely defied any logic that anyone who has followed the sport this season knew. And everyone like just assumed that it was the case because ESPN said it. And then we only come to find out like officially 
pretty much like a half hour after it all happened that it's not actually NC State who's the number one overall seed. Stanford did get it. They surpassed UConn with the S or not the SEC, the Pac-12 tournament. I know we talked about it last episode, not that huge of a surprise. Also, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. I mean, UConn would probably rather play Louisville in the Elite Eight rather than Baylor, who UConn is paired up with. But overall, I don't think it's that big of a difference. So UConn, the number one seed in the Riverwalk region, they're going to play High Point in the first round on Sunday at 8 p.m. at the Alamo Dome at ESPN. It's kind of interesting that they're going to be at the Alamo Dome the entire tournament because it's sometimes weird shooting in a big football stadium like that. I can't think the last time UConn would have even played in that type of situation. Cause as far as I remember, all the final fours have been in basketball slash hockey arenas. So that's interesting. If UConn wins, if UConn wins, they don't get upset by a 16 seed. They will play the winner of eight seed Syracuse and ninth seed to South Dakota throughout the rest of the bracket. Fifth seed Iowa is going to play 12th seed Central Michigan. Number four Kentucky is going to play number 13 Idaho State. Number six Michigan is paired with number 11 Florida Gulf Coast. Number three Tennessee against Middle Tennessee, a 14 seed. The 7 10 game is Virginia Tech and Marquette. Marquette's the 10. And then Baylor Jackson State is at the bottom of the bracket. So what were your just initial thoughts on the way ESPN revealed the bracket and UConn's region as a whole? Yeah, well, the way they unveiled it was not great because I spent 90% of the bracket field being confused about who the number one seed was and couldn't really process what the rest of what was going on because no one seemed to know what was going on with who was the number one overall. And then even once you figured out that like where NC State was in the bracket, it was so confusing because the order they went in it was like not from you know fourth overall to first overall or something instead it was like three to four to one to two it was all very confusing anyway so I feel like they shouldn't have done that that way or it should have at least clarified what they were doing if that was going to be the case um but otherwise in terms of UConn's bracket I think it's kind of interesting for the Huskies I would have preferred probably have any other number two seed for them other than Baylor. I think probably the worst case scenario. Um, but I think was certainly kind of known that it was a possibility figuring that Louisville and Baylor would be the bottom two of the, that number two seed line and that Stanford and UConn would be the, the top ones on the top line. Um, but I think just the way from the eye test, the way that these teams have been playing down the stretch, it feels like UConn, Stanford, and Baylor, in my opinion, are kind of three teams that have separated themselves a little bit. And so it's a little bit unfortunate that one of those three teams is also in UConn's bracket. Well, especially because UConn didn't do anything. Like UConn's only transgression was that they play in the Big East and they had to play in the Big East tournament. Like the only reason that Stanford surpassed them was because they played in a stronger conference and their resume just got boosted by playing better teams in their conference tournament. Like UConn only lost to Arkansas months ago. They had already been the number one overall seed in the committee's bracket reveals. So yeah, it just feels a little tough that UConn not only does nothing wrong to like get bumped off that number one overall seed, they get stuck with a pretty tough number two in Baylor. So if anything, this region, I feel like is just the most interesting in terms of storylines. I mean, the one that jumps out the most, well, the two that jump out the most, I guess, eight 
an elite eight matchup with Tennessee, that would be just fantastic ratings for the NCAA. And I'd like to go on record that I predicted that they were going to throw Tennessee into UConn's region just to set up that potential (laughs) TV matchup, which I applaud them for. I think that's a great job. Um, That would be such a great, such a great battle in the elite eight. If Tennessee can get that far. And if UConn can get that far also, obviously just Iowa potential sweet 16 matchup, Caitlin Clark versus Paige Beckers. That is one way to settle the freshman debate. And again, there is absolutely no way that Iowa gets put in that region if they don't have Caitlin Clark. And that wouldn't be a potential matchup because again, that would do huge numbers on TV. It would get everybody talking about women's basketball. And I think it's great. I'm not saying these things as a negative. I think these are absolutely great things that the committee did. So I don't really necessarily think that Iowa is any sort of threat to UConn. So I don't think it's any issue that they could potentially like it. Like it's not like UConn got a really tough draw because the best TV matchups are also the toughest. I think UConn would probably handle Iowa pretty easily. I feel pretty good that they would, I don't think Tennessee would pose that much of a threat to them, even though this game earlier in the year was close. I don't really think a rematch would be particularly close. Yeah, just a lot of potential, exciting potential matchups, not even mentioning a old Big East matchup in Syracuse, possibly in the second round. It was just a couple of years ago that UConn played Syracuse in the second round. I think the year after they beat Syracuse in the national championship. And then the four seed Kentucky and Ryan Howard, that could also be a really good game for UConn if they beat Iowa and get to the Sweet 16. So just I'm excited because it's a lot of storylines in UConn's region and every single game seems like it's going to be intriguing in some regard. So I think the committee did a good job with that. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of really interesting storylines here. You brought up Iowa, which I think is one that a lot of people are looking forward to. Of course, they have to get through Kentucky first, which um, I don't know if that will happen, but I think that would be a fun one to see just because of all the hype and conversation that there has been around Paige Beckers and Caitlin Clark, but agree that there's no way that that was an accident. And I'm kind of convinced that that's why they won't release like a 1 through 64 seed list like you get for the men because they don't want us to know all the things that they moved around to make interesting matchups. But anyway, um, yeah, I think that would be super interesting. I feel like it's more likely that we'll see Kentucky, but I think again, I mean, Ryan Howard's one of the best players in the country. It's a super interesting matchup for them. And I think a really good test of like, we've seen Kristen Williams shut down all these big players in the Big East tournament, but that's a whole nother level of having to shut someone down. So I think that could be really interesting. And then, like you said, whoever, if, assuming you kind of make it to, to the Elite Eight, either Baylor or Tennessee, I think it's going to be a fun game there. Baylor is going to be a tough game. Like Tennessee, I don't know that it's going to be that close, like you said, but it would still be a fun matchup and something that's going to get a, a lot of eyes on TV. Right. I mean, as long as UConn makes this, the Elite Eight, which I feel pretty comfortable predicting before we even do our bracket, our bracket picks, even if it's Baylor, I still feel like that's going to be a pretty, a pretty heavily viewed game. Obviously Baylor's still a pretty good name in women's basketball, two coaches with big personalities, assuming Gino gets back at that point. See, at least Gino didn't host his family over for Christmas and get COVID. But anyways, (laughs) that's not relevant to anything at all that we're just discussing. But yeah, so just looking across the rest of the bracket, what are some other interesting matchups that you see in the first round or potential interesting matchups outside of UConn's region? 
Yeah, I think on the flip side across from them in the Alamo region, which is Stanford's region, you've got a first round game between Oregon and South Dakota, which I think is interesting. South Dakota is a strong mid-major team. And then Oregon is just a team that feels like they've kind of just stumbled lately. They haven't looked great down the stretch. Um, don't have lost, I think it's like five of their last six or something like that. Haven't just haven't looked great um, kind of as of late. So I think that's an interesting one. It's a six versus eleven with Oregon being the six seed there. So probably potential for a bigger upset there. Um, and then I think when you get down kind of the lower half of the bracket, I think there's a lot of interesting matchups. When you get to this more of the top seeds, um, I think even that first round game with UConn's old conference mate in South Florida and Washington State is going to be a good one. But I think I would probably pick Washington State to come out of that. And I think they're a team that could be a little bit of a Cinderella, might make, could maybe upset NC State. We see them, we saw them upset some teams in the Pac 12 this year. So I think that's a team to keep an eye on. I think there's also a lot of hype around Maryland going into this. So I'm kind of interested to see how they fare in the bottom region there in South Carolina's region on the bottom left of the bracket. To me, they're a team that they score so many points, but they also allow so many points. So I'm just really interested to kind of see what happens with them at the tournament because it's not sold on their defense. And I feel like at some point that might come, on, come out and bite them earlier on than we'd expect. Let's do some rapid fire questions before we reveal our picks. Which region do you think is the toughest? Trying to not sound biased, but I feel like UConn has the toughest region, at least in my opinion. I think if you put UConn in any of the other regions, I would be happier with their path to, to get to the final four. Okay. Let's say which non one or two seed do you think has the best chance to win a national champ, win the national championship? Um, I feel like Georgia as the three seed in Stanford's region has a good shot if they can get past Stanford to make it to the final four. I think that's probably going to be their toughest test. Um, they just looked, looked really good in the SEC this season. And I think just in general, teams that have played in the SEC season are just really well prepared for this tournament. They've played a lot of really tough opponents. So there's a ton of SEC teams on the first four and five seed lines. So I, I think I'd pick Georgia. Which team in the field do you think is most underrated? You can take that however you want. I feel like Marquette because I like was baffled that they were the one of the last four in. Not that they're going to go win a national championship or anything, but a 10 seed in the last four in for them just felt way too low. I think we saw them play UConn pretty well once during the season, and I just think they're they're a better basketball team than their their seed ended up looking making them look. Who's the most overrated team in the field? That one I feel like is tricky. I want to go Maryland and not just that they haven't earned that two seed, but like I said, I just like, I'm not sold on their defense at all. Like I think people have got really excited about them because they scored hundred points in the big 10 championship, but they also allowed 80 points from Iowa, which is not a great team. So I, I think Maryland just might be maybe overrated isn't the right word, but definitely overhyped going into this tournament. I'm picking Arizona for the record. I'm not Fair. sold on Arizona <laughs> at all. Who's the biggest upset that you have? First round, I've got both top regions, the 11 over the six with South Dakota beating Oregon and uh, Florida Coast beating Michigan. I think that's one of the biggest ones I have. I've got the uh, SF Austin over Georgia Tech in the in the first round as well. So a couple of bigger uh, first round upsets there. I picked those, literally those three exact same games, <laughs> Florida Gulf Coast, South Dakota, and 
Stephen F. Austin. I have Stephen F. Austin beating West Virginia. I have nothing to back that up. That I picked my entire bracket, both men and women, off my gut because my brackets have just been awful the last, honestly, like five years now. I sometime in high school, I don't remember what year. I finished like second in a bracket pool, and if I think it was Wisconsin beat Duke in the national championship, I would have won the pool. So I was very, very close. It has been nothing short of a disaster since then. I felt bad about picking just one seeds to get through easily. So I picked South Florida to beat NC state. I don't really necessarily feel amazing about that, but you know, you, you just gotta have a hot take somewhere in the bracket. I feel like, so that's my hot take. I have them losing to Gonzaga in the next round. So not too much of a run, but I needed a little flair somewhere. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, we've teased it long enough. Are you ready to reveal your bracket picks? Yeah. Let's start with UConn. So we'll start with the toughest one first. UConn high point opening game. Who you got in that one? Still got UConn. Shocking, I know. <laughs> I think the only drama in that game, if no escalators on Twitter plays the game where you pretend that the 16 seed goes up by 50, like, when the ball tips and then it's just the entire game is a race to see if UConn can close the gap on them and get the win. So yeah, that's going to be the only drama in that. Who do you have UConn facing in the second round? I have them facing Syracuse. I think South Dakota state's a really good team, but their best player is out with an injury for the rest of the season. So I think Syracuse is going to win that one. I picked South Dakota state and I did not know that. So I'm going to right here, switch my pick to Syracuse, even though I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of Syracuse or their program. But you know what? It's one game. UConn, Syracuse. I think I know your answer to this one. Syracuse, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm <laughs> First, somewhat interesting one, I guess. Are we going to have a Caitlin Clark versus Paige Becker's matchup in the Sweet 16? Or is it going to be Kristen Williams versus Ryan Howard? Yeah, I have it as Kristen Williams versus Ryan Howard. Like I said probably 100 times, the SEC is so strong. And Iowa scores a lot of points, but their defense is one of the worst defenses in the country. And I, I just don't see them getting past Kentucky. Yeah, I also have Kentucky. I just don't think Iowa's that good. And I think Kentucky's probably a better team, played in a better conference, has... I'm not going to say they have a better player, but have a more experienced player. And I don't know how much that makes a difference in this NCAA tournament, but yeah, I like Kentucky. Who's UConn meeting in the Elite Eight? I'm meeting Baylor. I will be really surprised if even Tennessee is able to upset Baylor there. I feel like Baylor's going to run through that stretch without much of an issue. Yeah, I really wanted to pick Tennessee because that would be so fun. But no, I also have Baylor. So... UConn, Baylor, the game that was supposed to happen. Oh, sorry. I was just being dramatic. The game that was was supposed to happen in the regular season but didn't because Kim Mulkey tested positive. Does UConn get back to the Final Four for the 13th year in a row? A number that I should know, but I don't. X number year in a row. Does UConn get there? Yeah, I have them. I have them beating Baylor, but I will say I think you know this is might be their toughest game that they have to play. I think if UConn beats Baylor, they win the national championship. But I could see them either basically getting knocked out in that elite eight game or just winning it all. That's a hot take. 
Sometimes yeah. when I ask you for a hot take, you don't give me a hot take. That's a hot take. <laughs> and I appreciate that hot take. So you have UConn in the final four. I also have UConn winning. Let me just put that out there. I, I don't think Baylor's that good this year. I mean, Baylor's good. They're good. But last year, UConn was pretty close with Baylor and they just couldn't get their shots to fall at the end of the game. And I think UConn's a better team than they were last year. And Baylor is a worse team than they were last year. So I feel pretty good about UConn's chances. And also the fact that they have both Olivia Nelson Adota and Aaliyah Edwards. It's not just everything's going to be on Olivia Nelson Adota. Also, they were pretty close with Baylor last season, despite Olivia Nelson Adota not showing up for that game. So also a pretty good sign for UConn. Before we get to the rest, who are your other final four picks? I have Stanford in and then Texas A&M. Um, and I feel, I'm still debating on the hemisphere region because I don't really want to put South Carolina in, but I don't think that <laughs> UCLA really has the depth to, to make that deep of a run. Um, so like, probably South Carolina. <laughs> I have the same picks. We're being very uncreative here. We all have, we yeah. have the same picks on every single round. I, again, I would love to not pick South Carolina and just kind of continue that bit going, but maybe if South Carolina was in the same region as really any of the other two seeds, I think I would yep. be able to pull that trigger, but I just can't. I mean, I, I literally looked at UCLA for a long time. I have UCLA getting to the elite eight over Maryland. Same. I just I can't pull the trigger, but I do have yeah. South. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say I can't either. UCLA is a really good team, but they just their bench is so short that I, just, I can't see them being able to to play that many games and make the run to the final four. My counterpoint is that I feel like of all the number one seeds, since the person who has NC State losing to an eight seed, I feel like <laughs> there's a very high upset potential with South Carolina this year. I have nothing to back that up. That's just a gut feeling. If anyone that's on the one line loses to a team that's seated in the double digits, I feel like it's going to be South Carolina. That's I'll throw <laughs> that hot take out there. But I also have South Carolina picked for the final four. So what does that say? Yeah, I almost picked Oregon State out over them just because Oregon State has been so hot as of late. But I, I don't know that I can pull the trigger on that one yet. But I could see that upset happening. People forget Oregon State went to the final four in 2016 people forget i at least have south carolina losing in the final four i have stanford making it to the national championship game and playing no surprise you gone yep i've got the same thing too so we're really getting bored here but yeah stanford versus uconn which honestly i think would be the best possible national championship game like i said earlier i think stanford's playing at a really high level as well and i would just love to see those two teams face off for the national championship I have UConn winning the national championship because I feel like you don't get to 11 national championships without a loss and then suddenly drop it on your 12th. Also, I just think UConn's getting better and better as the season goes on. And even without Gino in these first two games, I think these are not that uncomparable to the Big East. I mean, High Point's probably a much better I don't think probably, I think High Point is definitely a better team than the bottom of the barrel in the Big East. And Syracuse and South Dakota State, I feel like would be, well, I mean, based on the way the Big East went this year, they'd be in the top two, three of the conference this year. So those are going to be two games, I feel like, where UConn can definitely continue to improve. And then from there on out, or at least the next round, the Sweet 16, 
they might get challenged by either Iowa or Kentucky, but I don't think it's going to be a close game. Maybe it's within 10 points throughout the entire, like maybe that season finale against Marquette, where it was kind of within 10, 15 points, the entire game, but UConn was never really threatened. I can kind of see that being the uh, sweet 16 game. And then, yeah, like you said, the elite eight really feels like the defining point for UConn because not only Baylor might give them the biggest challenge, but if UConn can beat a team like Baylor, I kind of feel like that shows that the way they're playing and, I just can't imagine that all of a sudden UConn is going to be playing this well and then get stopped. Obviously we've seen it before, but I just feel really good with the way this team's trending. And also just the fact that Paige Beckers is on the team and Paige Beckers is not going to let this team lose a game. We've seen what she could do in crunch time. So I feel pretty good picking UConn compared to some past years. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think what this team has lacked in a lot of those past years where they've made the final four, but haven't gotten all the way there is they don't have someone that steps up. I mean, they did in that, like, the piece of Collier was really good, but not someone that's going to step up and hit the huge, like, big-time shot at the end of the game or anything like that. They didn't really have that player, and now they have that player with Paige Beckers. So I agree. I think they've got a little edge on these past teams that have lost in the last few years, and I, I feel like they've got a really sh- good shot to win it all this season. Okay, so that's our actual bracket. Just quickly. What would be your most interesting path to the championship for UConn? Just can be whatever games would be the most exciting, whichever matchups would be the most interesting to watch for UConn. I would have probably Syracuse again, just because another old Big East game. Iowa for reasons that we have already stated. Tennessee for reasons that we have already stated. I think whatever happens in that final four, it's, I mean, it's obviously a final four matchup, but I don't think either one would be, Overly exciting, especially considering the lead up to that. And then I still feel like Stanford would probably be my pick in the national championship game, just because it would be the two best teams in the country. So what about you? Yeah, I kind of agree with everything you said. I think Iowa, especially, I think would be more interesting than Kentucky. Um, I think I would probably just leave Baylor, though, in the league game. I think, yeah, Tennessee has the draw from the name, but I think Baylor is actually the better game to watch. No, I I am on board with that take. I think that makes sense. I'm more, yeah, it's basically a matter of the ratings versus the actual game. And no, I think that's a fair pick. So to get into some predictions for UConn's NCAA tournament. First, I wrote ideal matchup, but I feel like we already talked about that. Um, What, matchup would be UConn's biggest potential trap game? I want to say probably that Elite Eight game if they get Kentucky just because I feel like Ryan Howard is so good and kind of a similar player to like Chelsea Dungey and that can kind of really go off and make a big difference in the game and if UConn doesn't contain her like they didn't contain Chelsea Dungey they could get upset there. Yeah that makes sense. I feel like there's not really a ton in there. So Kentucky probably makes the most sense because also like once you get to the elite eight, like nothing really at that point is a trap game. So it would have to be before then. It's not like high point or Syracuse or South Dakota are really that scary. So next, who do you think is going to be the most important player for this team in the tournament? Kristen Williams. I think if Chris Williams plays like she played in the big East tournament, UConn's not going to have a problem winning the national championship, but I think her being locked in at that level that we saw in their last three games on defense and then also being able to step up and have solid offensive performances is going to be really crucial for this team down the stretch. 
Okay, I'm just going to pick a different one so we don't have the same answer on every single <laughs> thing that we've done throughout this show. I feel like Olivia Nelson Adota has to play really well for UConn because, I mean, they're not going to get past Baylor if Olivia Nelson Adota doesn't play well. Or maybe they can get past Baylor if she doesn't play well, but I don't think they can win a national championship if she's not playing well. And yes, Kristen Williams is absolutely huge, as is Paige Beckers, as is like pretty much every single player that gets consistent minutes in the rotation. But Olivia Nelson Adota is just such an irreplaceable player that, you know, even if Kristen Williams plays good defense, she can afford, maybe afford's not the right word, but you can, can survive a bad shooting night from her where maybe she only gets five or six points because they have Paige Beckers and Avina Westbrook and Nika Mule who can score points and just they they can score points plenty of ways with Olivia Nelson Adota if she has a bad game and UConn gets dominated inside yeah you have Aaliyah Edwards that you can throw in there but there's just no one else really on the team that can replace her so I feel like she's going to be really important yeah it makes sense and I think also when you you look at that potential elite eight matchup with Baylor or Tennessee both cases they're going to need a lot of size so I think she's going to be really crucial when they get to that stage who do you think is going to be their best player in the tournament? Different than most important player. Yes. I think it's going to be Paige Beckers. I don't think anyone's going to be shocked at that take. She's been basically the best player all season long. I don't really expect that the change in March, I think she's going to just continue to be at the level she was, if even not even step it up again, because I feel like she really, even as a freshman, has an understanding of the weight of the tournament and wants to win that championship. Yeah. I mean, I can't even make an argument for anyone else. I'm, it's definitely going to be Paige and I'm very excited just to see what she does in this tournament because I don't want to say that she's quiet because that almost, or she's been quiet because that implies that she hasn't been playing well. She's been playing very well. Just her numbers, her scoring numbers haven't been super high just because of how much everyone else has been doing. But I definitely think she's going to go off in at least one or two of these games, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Who's the biggest X factor? I feel like Aaliyah Edwards off the bench for UConn is just, she's been so great kind of, down the final stretch of UConn's season, was really able to kind of come in off the bench and give them a lot of energy and a lot of size inside. And she's just something that UConn really doesn't have in any other player. She, Liv has size, but not in the way and the physicality that Aaliyah has. And I think, especially when you're looking to some of these matchups that are, it's going to make a bigger difference. And like, if they play Baylor, I think she's just really going to be the X factor there. I actually have a different one for this. I think it's Avina Westbrook because Avina was a really good three-point shooter at the beginning of the year, the first half of the year. She played a huge role in beating Tennessee. She played a huge role in beating Arkansas. And her three-point shooting has fallen pretty dramatically. She had, I think, an 0 for 15 stretch at one point in the year. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but her three-point shooting has really fallen off a cliff in the second half. And even if she doesn't get back to that point that she was at the beginning of the year, where I think she was shooting at like 43% or something really high like that, if she can at least be a consistent threat and maybe be around 35, 36, 37%, UConn still doesn't have that much of a three-point presence. And I think we saw that in the Big East tournament, and it just didn't matter because UConn bullied the Big East teams inside. For as good as Amina's been, her passing, her rebounding, and her defense – they could really, really use her shooting, especially because I'm not really expecting Anna Makarat to play a huge role in this postseason. I think Nika can hit three-pointers when she needs to, but I don't think she's someone that you would call a shooter. Obviously, you have Paige, but at least Avina could provide a good second presence as at the three-point threat. So I feel like 
if she can hit threes, not even at the level that she was earlier in the year, but just near it consistently, UConn's going to be a really tough offense to defend. Who do you have as a surprise contributor? It can be either one game someone breaks out or just one player who has a good tournament that you didn't see coming. I'm going to go with Aubrey Griffin. Not that I'll be surprised if she contributes a bunch because I think we've kind of made it clear in the past that we both like her game a lot. I just, we haven't seen a ton from her this summer or summer season, but you know, if you kind of need to spark off the bench or just needs things aren't going well and they need to shake things up on defense, I think she always provides a, a little bit of spark and changes things up for them. So I think if they're struggling either in these early games with not having Gino or just like you said, we said they're playing in the Aladome, so they've got this big arena, maybe shots aren't falling and they need to shake things up in a different way or is facing some different opponents and are struggling, I think she could be really valuable off the bench for them to kind of change things up. It's going to take me roughly like 45 seconds to contradict one of my last statements. I think Adamakarat could absolutely go off for like 25 points in a game because I think it, we saw at the end of last season that once she gets a couple of shots to fall, she suddenly gets into a groove and she can't miss. And once she kind of gets that confidence and starts asking for the ball and just starts launching them, that's a very good sign for UConn. And it was interesting to talk to her after the selection show, because she admitted that it's been a very tough year for her physically, mentally, and emotionally. And she talked about how the NCAA tournament is going to be fun and how she got a better understanding of kind of how the team works and what the coaches are talking about from watching on the bench. And I know we didn't really see a ton from her, if anything, during the Big East tournament, just that three-point threat is always there, even if she's not hitting. So I could just see she comes in to play maybe 10 minutes, gets one or two shots to fall, and then she just finally clicks, gets that groove, gets that confidence, and goes off to hit a million three-pointers in a game to have some big night and come out of nowhere. And maybe even if she doesn't replicate that the rest of the tournament, she feels like she has the biggest boom-bust potential of anyone on this team based on the way her season's gone and what we've seen from her in the past. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think we've seen how much of a streaky shooter she can be. So it, it would be fun to see her just kind of come in one day and start hitting some threes and then have one of those games where she goes off and hits, you know, threes or something crazy that'd be a lot of fun to watch i'm hoping for it because just personally to to cover anna is one of my favorite players to talk to she seems to always have something interesting to say so yeah it would be just after such an obviously tough year it would be good to see that over under one and a half games where Paige scores over 30 points i'm gonna go with the over i feel like it happens twice i feel like not that uconn's gonna need it necessarily but i i think that Paige is just going to be at a different level going into this this tournament, and I wouldn't be surprised to see her put the team on her back a couple times. I'm going to hammer the over. I think she does it in one of the two Final Four games. I think she does it in the Elite Eight, and then in one of the first three games. And if they play Iowa, it's going to be in the game that they play Iowa. She's definitely – if she faces Caitlin Clark, there's no chance that she just doesn't go off for a million points and has one of the best games of her career. So I've got it for three games over. Yeah, I feel like if they play Iowa, I kind of expect like Paige to go off for 30 plus points and Kristen Williams to just absolutely smother Caitlin Clark. And it's going to be funny to watch, I think, in a way. But anyway, maybe we'll get it. Maybe we won't. I don't think certain people in the women's basketball world would be able to handle that sort of thing happening. I think there would yeah. genuinely be people having meltdowns over Paige Becker's being better than 
Caitlin Clark in a single game. And it would be wonderful to watch the mental gymnastics that it would take for them to still argue that Caitlin Clark is the better player. <laughs> I kind of hope we get that just to watch that Twitter meltdown. It would be amazing for me. <laughs> Look, half of March Madness is about the Twitter meltdowns. Like, yeah. if you're not rooting for that, what are you rooting for? <laughs> Last one, over under, total points allowed by players Kristen Williams defends throughout this tournament, 30 and a half, which would be five points per game if they win the national championship. I'm going to go with the over just because I think if they're going to make the national championship and Kristen Williams is going to guard the best players all the way through if they have to play like the likes of Kentucky and Baylor and Stanford and someone else in the, the final four to get there. I don't know that she's going to hold up these players to you know five points like she could the biggest players, but I don't think it's going to be well over 30. Like I could see her holding them to a combined 40, 45. I think she probably gives up like 10 points in those first three games. And then, yeah, I would guess it's like 20 points over those next three if they get to the national championship. So yeah, I would say over, if I had to guess, 33 is my official prediction. And if I get that right, I will come back to grab this audio (laughs) to brag about it. Just so everyone's aware. (laughs) Would you like to put an actual number on record just so you can also brag about it if you get it right? Yeah, yeah, let's give it an actual number. I'll get, I'll say... 43, 43 points solo. Okay. 10 point difference. Lastly, you've already hit me with one hot take, but give me one more. It doesn't have to be UConn related. It can just be anything to do with the NCAA tournament. Um, We see at least one, one seed fall before the elite, I think. Yeah. I like that. That's a good one. I feel like Paige Becker sits a buzzer beater. I, I feel strongly that, may, okay, maybe not a buzzer beater, but I think she hits a shot that win that directly wins the game not like her tennessee or south carolina shots as great as they were that clinched the game uconn's either going to be tied or down and she's going to hit a shot with less than 10 seconds to go to win the game for uconn at some point i like it (laughs) just before we wrap up a couple news and notes to hit on morgan tuck retired she said on twitter in a post that she just did her best to try and rehab for this WNBA season and her knee just won't allow it. If you aren't aware of her knee history, she suffered a bone bruise in her right knee as a freshman after she got looked at by doctors at some point down the road. I don't know the exact timeline. They found out that she was missing cartilage in her knee. She missed most of her sophomore season, all but eight games because of a pretty major surgery that added cartilage to the knee, but gave her the knee of a middle-aged woman. Not something you want as a college player. She returned Obviously, her junior year and senior year, well, her redshirt sophomore and redshirt junior years to help UConn win national championships. Apparently, I didn't know this until I was doing research when she announced her retirement, but I guess before the 2016 season, her last year at UConn, she said that she was going to return for her fifth year of eligibility. But then as the year went on and her her knee just continued to give her issues, she decided to declare for the WNBA draft to maximize her earnings as a professional Played five years, obviously didn't put up the best numbers. That knee continued to be a problem all throughout her career, but she finished with a WNBA championship. So five rings in a basketball career, that's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, I think it's it's unfortunate that, you know, she has retired this early on with her injury history, but I think good for her to make the, that decision. And I'm sure it won't be the last we see from her, so I'm sure more things from Morgan Tuck will be coming. 
Also, Morgan Tuck is the exact reason why I think Avina Westbrook should declare for the WNBA draft after this season, yeah. because I don't think Avina's knees are as bad as Morgan Tuck's was, but still Avina talks about having good days and bad days and it still bothers her. Even after she's had two surgeries, that really doesn't sound like the recipe to have a long career. So she's been fantastic this year. She's been one of my favorite players ever to cover. I don't think I could quantify in words, the amount of respect that I have for everything that Avina Westbrook's done, how much the team has rallied around her as a captain, everything that she's done for the team off the court. And I think for those exact reasons, that's why I want her to get out of UConn, go pro, start making money as a basketball player, start getting some sponsorships wherever you can, just rake in as much money as you can before she can't do it with the knees anymore, just like Morgan Tuck. So yeah, I think it's just as great as it would be for this UConn team and all that, if she did return, I think just in her own personal interest, she should go pro. Yeah, I would agree with that. Given her injury history, it just kind of feels like it's probably the right move that she's eligible and, and can go. So she should. Um, obviously, term will know in a few weeks. I think it's they have 48 hours after their last game to declare uh, what they're going to do. So um, we'll, we'll see that decision once UConn's uh, season wraps up. But Also, Jen Rosati out as head coach at George Washington. She parted ways with the school, which is always how it's termed to say that she got fired. Went to the NIT her first year at GW, went to the NCAA tournament her second year. A little salty about that one. She beat one of my friends in the A-10 championship game, so would have preferred she didn't go to the NCAA tournament that year. But anyways, she went below 500 her next three seasons, ended up getting fired. Her players actually put out a statement pretty upset about her being fired. They feel like she didn't get a great... She got a bit of a raw deal just because of how the season went. It's been kind of tough for Rosati as a head coach. She had a lot of success early in her time at Hartford. Then it kind of faded. She got the job at GW and then kind of the same thing. It faded. So I'm pretty interested to see what her next move is as a coach, just because she has a lot of experience as a head coach. She's been a USA basketball coach. So it sucks, but interested to see her next chapter. Yeah, great. I think we've seen a lot of coaching movements in the last week or so, so I think it'll be a while before all the dust settles on where people will end up for the next season. But we're great, interested to see where she ends up and what her next chapter is. Lastly, just one more coaching tidbit. Kelly Raymond, you might know her better as Kelly Schumacher, former UConn Center national champion, was an assistant coach with the New York Liberty. She's now an assistant coach with the Dallas Wings. So still two UConn, former UConn players, as assistants in the WNBA, her and also Asia Jones with the Washington Mystics. Well, that will do it for this episode of Chasing Perfection. Next time we record, UConn is going to be preparing to play in the Sweet 16. That, or we're going to be discussing one of the biggest upsets in women's basketball (laughs) history. So, two pretty different paths that we could take next time. Anyways, you can follow Megan on Twitter at Megan Gower. You can follow me on Twitter at Daniel V. Connolly. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen. Tell a friend. Subscribe to the UConn Women's Basketball Weekly. Read Store Central and the UConn blog. Megan, roll us out. Uh, happy March Madness, everyone. Oh, come tell me, Sean O'Farrell, where the gathering is to be. At the old spot by the river, quite well known to you and me. One more word for signal token, whistle out the marching tune. With your bike upon your shoulder by the rising of the moon. 
the rising of the moon, by the rising of the moon. Put your bike upon your shoulder, by the rising of the moon.